Welcome to Breaking the Chain, the leadership series. I'm your host, Tarantia Brown. In this podcast, we will focus on developing our emotional intelligence as leaders. We will pull back the curtain on the leadership journey experienced by leaders who have inspired and developed countless successful individuals. Welcome everyone to episode one of our leadership series. So our guest today is Jody Lodge, Managing Director from Johnson & Johnson in Helsingborg, Sweden. He's a proud introverted leader and a personal mentor of mine. I asked Jody to share his thoughts on what servant leadership means to him. So welcome, Jody. I'm so excited to have you as our first guest to kick off the season for us. Thank you so much for saying yes. Thank you, Terry. It's exciting to be here. I'm honored. So people have been asking about different topics. And so this podcast has really been inspired by the questions that people have been asking me. So I've been running different workshops, coaching different people over the last year. And so what I thought would be a good idea was to get some really smart people into the hot seat to ask them questions so that we all can can learn from them. So to get things started, can you tell us a little bit about your your background, where you started, your leadership journey, and, and maybe some some of the leadership positions that you've held over the years so that we can just get to know you a little bit better? It'd uh, be my pleasure. So my name is Jody Lodge. I'm uh, originally from the United States, even though I'm working in Helsingborg, Sweden now, and we'll get there eventually. I graduated as a chemical engineer from uh, University of California at Berkeley, feeling the need to do hardcore engineering. I joined an oil company and worked there for a number of years, starting as an engineer and then moved into production operation management positions uh, as an operations leader, then a warehouse distribution center leader then went into sales. About that time, my wife told me that she was pregnant with our daughter, and I started considering what my legacy uh, should be. And uh, I decided then it would not be oil, so I took an opportunity to join the healthcare industry, having joined J&J in Northern California as a second shift supervisor. I didn't have any experience in healthcare, but I had leadership experience, and I was able to sell that in. So started as a second shift supervisor, and progressed from there through different layers of management, ultimately becoming the site lead for a medical device facility in uh, Switzerland, and most recently in a consumer health manufacturing site in Helsingborg, Sweden. Great. You've actually gone through quite a quite a roller coaster <laughs> in terms of your your experience and also just different industries. But many of our listeners are emerging leaders, right? So they are either thinking about a leadership role or they've just started leading a team. And many of the people that I've chatted to have said to me, you know, they are they're actually afraid to take that step into leadership. Yeah. And so you've been talking about these different roles. So I would love to just hear from you. What was your biggest fear? when you started your leadership journey? My first leadership opportunity was a shift supervisor in the refinery that I, I mentioned earlier. I was young. I think I was 25. I think the average time and job 
of the people who worked for me was 25 years. So, you know, my, my biggest fear from the beginning was not being good enough and not knowing enough and not being recognized as the smartest person or being respected enough to be followed. But yeah, so that was my biggest fear. And then, you know, through trial and error, using my kind of normal relationship things, I uh, was able to connect with the people who reported to me, building that trust and the confidence that they had in me and my ability to lead. But yeah, the, the fear, you know, the biggest fear for me was kind of not being smart enough or not being knowledgeable enough or not having enough experience to be, you know, a good leader to them. How does one deal with that? So there, there's some limiting beliefs there. There's the this imposter syndrome that everybody is talking about now, but has you know always been there before. Is this something that you spoke openly about to other people to help you overcome some of those fears? What did you do? In my first leadership role, I did, you know, I, I only had the group of people that were around me, the people that were reporting to me. And before it was in vogue or before I even knew that it was a thing, um, I was asking them for regular feedback. They were appreciative of the fact that I was brand new, um, that I was on a learning journey. And, you know, once we developed the trust between us, I felt comfortable asking them, you know, for their honest opinion of what I was doing, how I was doing it, and, you know, my approach to, you know, to leadership. Thankfully, you know, we got there. They really felt comfortable providing me with feedback The you know, and then the most important thing was, you know, actioning that feedback, right? It wasn't just me asking for feedback and just ignoring it, you know, thank you for the feedback, but uh, I'll choose to do it my own way, was really incorporating that feedback and trying out the things that they were suggesting to me. And once you've developed some levels of success, then you want to continue on that journey. So yeah, that was how I kind of overcame that. Great. And one of the key things you said was building relationships. But before that, you said when the trust was there. So building that trust. I talk about the definition of trust is when your words and actions align. So one of my mentors, John Maxwell, he talks about that. How do you go about building trust when you come into a team and and to get that going? Let's see. How do you build trust? You know, it's really about connecting with people, right? I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a big listener. It's It's not just about going in and taking action. It's really about listening, taking that information in, and then doing something with it. You know, you're not going to gain trust unless you give trust, right? So there also has to be, you know, somewhere that you meet in the middle where if I'm a leader and this is a group of people that I'm leading, I will give them opportunities to perform a task that I've entrusted to them and taking the opportunity to coach them along the way to help them kind of get through the the task that I was, you know, requested of them. Through that interaction, they will have built that trust. They will have proven their ability to do these things. And at the same time, they will have entrusted me with my guidance and support of them as they go forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a journey, like you said, and it's one day at a time. Would you say there's there's intentionality though behind that? So I can't speak for every leader in the world. Um, I think that I can speak for the good ones, and it has to be intentional, right? It has to be with purpose. Um, it has to be with empathy. It has to be with the intent of getting close to this person. You know, I tell a lot of people that we as leaders, our abilities are 
demonstrated abilities as leaders is what gets people out of bed in the morning. It's what inspires them to come to work. It's what inspires them to do better what, than what they even think they can do. You know, if you approach it like that, if you, you recognize that this is where you want to go, that this is the relationship that you want to build, that this is the person and the, that you want them to be and the person that you want to be as a result, that's how you get there. It has to be intentional. The lack of genuineness shines through. You have to lead with your heart. You have to be intentional about what you're doing and why you're doing it, or else it's all going to be for show. And whether they tell you or not, they're going to see right through it. Absolutely. Do you think leaders are born or are they made? (laughs) I think that they're made. And I think they're not as made as they are self-created. And what they're born with is some of those qualities and those competencies that I mentioned, right? To be able to to lead with their heart, to be genuine in their intent, to be open and honest and transparent, to be confident with being that way. You know, that's what they're born with. The self-creation part is what you do with that, right? How you approach people that you're leading and how you approach your life and, and just how you're applying those things that you've been given. So it's kind of a mix, but you know, for me, it's really about being born with certain skills and competencies and and behavioral traits and being able to apply them to kind of create yourself as a leader. I love that. I love that people can see leadership role in their future and not believe, you know, have some of these limiting beliefs that we think that, oh, because I'm, I'm born a certain way, I don't have certain skills that I can't be a leader. One of the things I hear quite often is that, you know, introverts don't make good leaders. (laughs) I heard that early on in my career. I'm an introvert by nature. And um, I heard somebody say that. And for me, um, it was something that sparked interest in this area of leadership. So I I always say, never tell an engineer you can't do something because we'll find a way to make it work and to figure out a solution. So one of the things I did was actually learn about leadership. So I became a student of leadership to understand okay, how can I do this in a good way? How can I lead others in a good way? Even though the world may say that we generalize and say introverts don't make good leaders. One of the reasons that I think we connect, you know, and like I said, you're a mentor of mine, is because you say very openly that you are an introverted leader. And so I would love to hear from you how your introvert superpowers have helped you lead teams across these different countries that you were talking about earlier? I think first and foremost, you know, I don't like to be heard. So part of my character is to listen because I don't like to speak. I I tend to listen more than somebody who likes to speak or who likes to be the center of attention or, you know, is extroverted by nature. So I think the biggest thing that has helped me is my ability and not just my ability, but my willingness and my intentionality behind listening. Maybe it's not the great example, right? Because not everybody moves from country to country. But, you know, being an introvert and being in a country where you don't speak the the language or where the people who are speaking to you are speaking to you in their second language actually is even more powerful because you have to listen. And every time you talk, you're not listening and you're not catching some of the words or the nuance or the things that they're saying. So whether they're speaking to you in their second language or you're speaking to them in their second language and listening to them in their first language, 
you have to listen. You don't have a choice. That helped a little bit. But yeah, that coupled with my natural interest and my natural kind of uh, attraction towards listening certainly helped. Have you always been comfortable to share that you are an introvert? I don't know that I always knew it, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, and try not to be overly biased, but, you know, growing up when I did, where I did, being a relative, you can't see me on the podcast, but, you know, I'm a relatively large uh, white male from a, you know, upper middle class uh, upbringing. And, you know, I was kind of brought up to believe that you had to be extroverted. You know, and I thought that because I was maybe not getting the attention that I thought I deserved or whether I was maybe not seen as the, the, the class clown or the most popular or whatever, I thought it was something that I was doing wrong, that I was not living up to the expectations that had been set for me as kind of a society of extroverts. So yeah, it took me a long time to realize it. Now I say it very openly, but yeah, I, I thought it was and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who feel it's something that they're doing wrong and it's not. It's just, you know, recognizing that as an introvert, you get your strength and your energy and your power from different places. And it's not the same place that extro extroverts get it from. And you just have to be okay with, hey, you know what? I want to be alone for a couple of hours. I need that alone time to re-energize and regroup. And yeah, I was doing those things, but I thought it was weird. <laughs> and now at least I understand what it was and I've embraced it and used it. You know, I think you use the word superpower, but as a, as a strength of mine. Do you think being an introvert has held you back in terms of promotions within companies that you've worked with? Or has that actually helped you to be seen and promoted into these different roles that you've been in? I would say it differs by company. It differs by culture. It differs by who's leading you. If the people that are kind of infrastructurally above you in the organization are comprised of nothing but extroverts, then potentially it could affect you. But as you and I have talked about before, you know, you have to practice that, right? If you feel that not being seen or heard is something that's preventing you from getting to where you want to be or being recognized for who you are, it's like any other skill, right? You have to practice it. It may not be comfortable. You know, I don't think anybody ever put on a pair of skis for the first time and pointed down a mountain and said, yeah, this is super comfortable. It's not, right? You have to practice these things. If you want to get good at it or you, you think it's preventing you from moving forward, you develop the skill. You practice, you fail. You practice, you fail. You develop. It doesn't mean you're evolving into that person. It doesn't mean you're evolving into an extrovert. It means that you're practicing a skill that you feel that you need in order to be whatever it is that you're not getting. So that was a very ham-handed way of saying, yeah, I think it did affect me at one point in time. And then I recognized that, you know, there were certain things that I needed to do that maybe were outside of my comfort zone, like a lot of things that we do that I needed to do in order to kind of get what was expected of me from those people around me. One of the things that I learned from you personally was how to network in my own, in my way, a way that feels comfortable for me as an introvert, as a leader, as a person. I would love for you to share with our listeners what you've taught me because it's been invaluable. I teach this now in workshops, so I've stolen with pride. <laughs> if you can share how, how you go about uh, building relationships and networks within, within a business. 
for me personally, the way that I build networks is the way that I'm most comfortable as an introvert. And that is on a one-on-one basis. You know, I'm not going to show up in a crowd of people and start uh, showboating and showing off who I am to get the attention and build the network that I'm looking for. So for me, it's very much on a one-on-one basis. And like anything else that I do or that we do, um, it has to be intentional. You know, if you're able to identify the network that you want to create or the network that you want to be part of, identifying those people within that network is key. Um, And then the approach that I take, you know, I don't want everybody doing this because it (laughs) becomes, it'll become painful at some point in time, but I just set up one-on-ones with people. It's not really a cold call if they're a part of your organization or if there's, you know, there's somebody that's already kind of connected you through email or through other social media outlets, just put time on their calendar. And in the body of the, the invitation, just say, hey, I met you or I saw you or I heard you and what you said or what I heard had a great impact on me. I really would like the opportunity to connect with you, understand your career journey and learn from what you've experienced. What I've discovered through trial and error, of course, like anything else, is that when you do that, people don't ever say no. They don't ever just flat out decline your invitation. Normally, they'll just accept. Worst case, they will suggest another time for you to meet. I don't know what the behavioral mechanism is behind it, but it works every time. I can I can testify to that, that it does work. <laughs> and I actually do teach about this. I teach people around that when it comes to networking. So thank you so much for, for that lesson. <laughs> it is being put into practice. For sure. It is a good one. And especially if you're uncomfortable with that kind of group setting, that group dynamic that I mentioned and kind of showboating, it it is a nice way to to approach, especially if you're an introvert within your own comfort zone. I've been really blessed to be um, in your leadership team and just under your leadership. And I know you you roll your eyes when I say that, (laughs) but I really do mean it. I've seen firsthand how you live out this concept of servant leadership. So I I love talking about it. I think more and more people are talking about this concept, but it's still not seen in in our day-to-day work and how can we actually live it out. And so I would love for you to just share with us like what your day or even your week looks like, just to get a sense of what does servant leadership look like for you in your daily work? So my calendar is, I wouldn't say exclusively filled with, but it's probably 90% of my calendar is team meetings where it's people that report to me or are part of my leadership team. And I need to get together as one team to make decisions or to drive the business. And that's probably of the 90%, that's probably 20%. The rest of my time is really one-on-one meetings. It's really dedicated to the people that report to me because I need to have the opportunity to understand what's preventing them from being successful and helping them to remove those barriers to be successful. They're with mentees or they're just people within my network. The funny thing about network development is at first you do it very deliberately to create that network to for lots of different reasons. But in general, it's to kind of learn and help you to, to grow and identify where your opportunities are to grow. Over time, they just become friends, right? They're people that you can share with and, you know, whether it's business challenge or personal challenges, but it's really somebody that, you know, you create a need for in your life uh, in order to be fulfilled. So yeah, that's probably the rest of it. As a servant leader, like I said, you know, 
and as an introvert, I like one-on-one meetings, but I also, I need that time. I need that, you know, that space to connect with that person and really understand what I can do differently to be better, to support them. Because yeah, at the end of the day, that's really my only job, right? My only job is to make people better or more capable or have greater opportunity to be successful in their role. Thank you so much for teaching me that lesson. And I've seen you live it out. This is not just words that for this podcast, I've actually seen you live it. I've been privileged to have those sessions with you and and just talk through not just you know some of the things from a work perspective, but from a personal perspective. And because you see the person as a whole, it's not just, you know, what can I do for you from from that front, but what are factors affecting you? One of the challenges I get from leaders when I'm coaching them or in workshops is that I don't have time for the one-to-ones with my team. So how do you make the time? How do you make the time to, to have those conversations with your team members when there's so much happening, things are coming at you left, right, and center, priorities change on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. How are you navigating this? So from my perspective, the greater the pressure, the greater the confusion, the greater the chaos, the greater the uncertainty, the more critical it is to connect with people. As I mentioned, I have one job, right? My job is to make sure my people can do their job as effectively and efficiently and as successfully as possible. So if if you see that as your only job, to pull away from that behavior, to disconnect from your people in times of crisis or in times of stress is absolutely the worst approach that you can take because you're relying on them and their capabilities and their skills and abilities to be able to get through that storm or that stress or that pressure. And as leaders, if we go in the opposite direction, it's just a downward spiral. Right. I mean, if we disconnect and they become unaware of what's happening, they see the stress building on you. They don't understand what's going on. They don't know how they can help. And it just it all falls apart. So, I mean, I guess I have to make the time. I I don't see an option. I don't see another way out. And again, it's the greater the pressure, the greater the stress, the greater the anxiety, the greater the worry, the more critical it is to stay connected. Yeah. These things that we talk about, you know, lead to burnout it leads to mental mental stress mental health issues how do you help your team members to navigate through that themselves because they are leaders of teams as well so one you're role modeling but two is how do you actually support them for, on a practical level to then help them to then help their teams so if it's if it's their own personal health and mental well-being It's all about the kind of the trust that we talked about earlier. They have to be comfortable enough to tell you that they're going through those things. And if you are a good leader and you are listening and you are paying attention to body language and facial expressions and facial tics or whatever, you know, whatever you see, hear, feel, smell, touch, then you have to be in a position where you, you ask them about that. Hey, you know, I've noticed that this. So, you know, what's going on or what can I do to help? Or you have to be aware and you have to have developed that trust where you feel comfortable asking them and they feel comfortable telling you. And yeah, until you have that, there is going to be that level of uncertainty. But again, it becomes even more critical to to build that trust and that connection so that uh, you can help them through whatever they're going through. But you can't guess at it. You can't 
suppose that you know i mean they have to tell you and you have to put yourself in a position to be able to ask that question and like i said be able to receive the information and do something about it just from what you've been talking about is just having that awareness in terms of for yourself and then also the people around you and so one topic that i'm i'm going on and on about and trying to talk to as many people about is the topic on emotional intelligence so there are four core skills of emotional intelligence they are self awareness self management social awareness and relationship management and when i look back in terms of my life and where i've actually learned about this is learning from people like yourself from you know different mentors but i've never had formal training around this topic so i've i've also studied chemical engineering never had any courses on what emotional intelligence is right so we've been developing our iq over time our technical skills but the eq you know we haven't focused so much like i said i've learned so much from watching you and how you connect with people and acknowledge their existence and one of the things i i've asked you about is you know you you shake their hands when you say hello you connect with them used to well yes <laughs> it's been the hardest thing for me <laughs> <laughs> i know i remember there was the first question i asked you when you know when covid hit was how are you coping because you cannot shake people's hands yeah because that that was a way for you to just physically connect and then be able to have the conversation so it would be interesting to hear how you developed your emotional intelligence over time uh, was it from role models from mentors or personal development from like books or courses or how how do we go about doing this i would love to tell you that you know there was a moment in time where this happened for me where i was like oh my god i'm emotionally intelligent but i think you you made a really interesting analogy to iq right i mean i think people are born naturally smart i think there are people who are born naturally emotionally intelligent but a lot of how that is perceived or it's how we portray it and how it's perceived by others is really through trial and error and growth right i can't say that i've always been the person that i am today anybody listening to this who knows me knows that that's not a true statement that i've always been like this but a lot of it is like anything else we do you know you have to try some things you will fail and you'll usually fail when you're not expecting to right it's not like you had deliberately said i'm going to try this today and then you're like oh that didn't go very well you do something that's natural to you and then you get the feedback that it failed and you're like oh wow okay that's not how i should approach that thing at first it happens unnaturally right you'll stumble and fall and you'll have to pick yourself back up then it'll happen a little more naturally a little more deliberately you'll try things that fail or work and then you'll learn from that and i think the other thing that really kind of further kind of embeds the need to become more intelligent you know emotionally intelligent is that as you grow as a leader more and more people are looking to you to set the example you mentioned role modeling but it's more than it's more than that it's in and it at first it's a little uncomfortable because typically that realization comes all at once when you're like oh my god all these people are looking at me and the behavior set that i'm exhibiting the mindset that i'm showcasing and then you have to be even more deliberate with how you're growing in that space because people they care about what you do and how you behave and they they think that whatever you're doing is okay and if you're not careful about how you're behaving now you're creating 
a bunch of Jody clones. And if I'm going to have a bunch of Jody clones, I would rather them be emotionally intelligent than emotionally debilitated. <laughs> when you look at IQ and EQ, um, there's surveys being done that have said people with a higher EQ or leaders with a higher EQ outperform leaders with a higher IQ. Is that a fair statement to say? <laughs> Is it fair to say? I mean, if you're measuring true leadership, yes. Right. In my opinion, I I don't even remember where I heard the, the phrase, but you know, you can always identify a leader by those who are by the person who's being followed. Right. It's not just because you have a title, right? It's not just because you have a position. You can't be a leader unless you have followers. You can't kind of create followership if you're not you know, emotionally connected to those people who you want to follow you. So if you're looking at pure leadership from my perspective and my opinion, yeah, those people with higher EQs are more likely to be successful in the true leadership role, which is inspiring people to follow them. Amazing. So what would you say is the most challenging and the most rewarding thing about leading a team? I think it's the same. For me, it's the unpredictability. It's not knowing, you know, what's going to happen from moment to moment. And it's really being able to fail with the team and succeed with the team. And it's that, right? And it's, as a leader, you know, you're not leading a team, you're leading a group of individuals. Each one of them is different and each one of them has different needs. And your leadership style may need to change from person to person based on the needs of that person or, you know, where they are in their development or where they're in their experience or where they are in anything. That's kind of the biggest challenge. And it's also the most rewarding because as you, as you're leading people and as you get to witness their growth and watch them try and fail and then succeed. I mean, it's all fun, but it's it's all encompassed in that unpredictability. Like I said, it's the biggest challenge, but is also the biggest reward. I love that. I love that. What is the best advice you have been given by a leader that you carry with you today? I mean, obviously the person I heard it from was a leader. It was actually uh, in a course I was taking and I don't have very many leadership courses under my belt. So I think I have one very early in my leadership development. It was actually a, a group of ex-military guys who had put together this organization to be able to train people in leadership. And, you know, there's a huge misconception about military leadership, uh, which we could spend hours talking about. But the basic message was, uh, yeah, everybody knows the golden rule, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, the the message that came out of this segment of that course was, you know, that's that's shortcutting it too much, right? That's too easy, right? If you treat everybody the way you want to be treated, the only person that you're going to satisfy with that approach is yourself and you're not leading yourself, right? So it was kind of a basically what now they call the platinum rule, which is treat people the way they want to be treated, which is, you know, what I've kept with me, I'm sure somebody said it. I'm sure I've read it. And I'm embarrassed to say in the 30 years since I took that training course, probably read it multiple times over. But yeah, I mean, that's for me, that's the truest form of leadership is, you know, you can't lead somebody that you don't know or understand. You know, you have to understand what their key motivators are, what gets them up in the morning, what's exciting them, you know, what's depressing them, what's creating stress or anxiety for them. 
you can't lead unless you really get to know who they are and how they want to be led and how you can tailor your leadership style to make sure that they're being the best version of themselves that they can be. Wow. So, so much insight, so much gold. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time to just come and share, you know, a little bit about your journey to share some of the lessons you've learned and that we need to be kind to ourselves, be compassionate because it's be open to learning. I think if we had to summarize what you, you were saying that be open to learn new things, be open to feedback, ask for feedback. People say feedback is a gift. So really take the time out to ask people around you, you know, how are things going? How am I doing? Can I do better? What can I do better? And learn from that, learn and, you know, on the journey, on the job, as they say. So we really appreciate the time you've you've taken out here to help us launch this podcast uh, series, which is the, you know, the leadership edition that we we have started really to answer some of the questions that people had. So I hope the listeners are, are taking something of value away with them today that has impacted their life and that would also inspire them to say yes uh, to a leadership role. So thank you so much, Jody. That was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in and being intentional about improving your emotional intelligence. It was so great to give you all a taste of what I've learned from Jody over the last four years. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or even on our website at www.breakingthechain.online.